Welcome to The End of the World, or more adequately put, a podcast covering all forms of pop cultural apocalypses. So whether it be the repopulation of our planet by an artificial intelligence originally programmed by the last surviving humans centuries prior, a global war turning the world into an uninhabitable wasteland, or your Wi-Fi suddenly stops working, we have you covered. And as usual on this journey, you have as your guides, myself, Trevor William Horn, and my favorite co-host and close friend, Kenny Brake. I'm the favorite co-host in the room. There it is. Okay. (laughs) You're the favorite out of the two of us. Now, how's your week been, Kenny? So far, so good. I have a funny story about Wi-Fi if you want to hear it. Tell me the story. We get a text from our friends. You can be the storyteller I'm going to be the storyteller today. We get a text from our friends that he had to go work at a uh, coffee shop because they they lost all Wi-Fi. They lost um, all phone signal. And so he, he was sitting at the coffee shop and he sees, oh, out in Snohomish where they live, you know, on off Highway 9, somebody decided to drive with a shed on the back of their truck and drove through like four telephone lines and like cables across the street and just tearing everything down. Oh, this is Max. You're talking yeah. about Max right now. Yep. Yeah. I was just trying not to say names, but yeah, oh, he was talking about Max. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they lost, Wi-Fi. For they, the lost, they lost Wi-Fi due to somebody trying to move a house through the intersection well the funniest part was the house I, he's, he posted that picture where in the middle of the intersection was this dilapidated house structure yeah, sh- and on thing. zillow it said yeah. seven hundred fifty thousand or something <laughs> easy access to highway nine <laughs> seattle you know those, those are seattle prices for you it's great for, i was looking into it you know <laughs> so you've had a good week but I had a good week yeah busy okay. week but good week um it's gonna be a busy weekend but good weekend so yeah Oh, I feel that baseball's starting up, so I'm getting ready to coach my boys' teams. So it's It'll gonna be, be to it's gonna be watch. a fun time. Oh yeah, looking forward to yelling and screaming at their games. There's gonna be a lot of yelling. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of yelling. Anyways, now per usual, I have a mystery of sorts, less an ethical conundrum and more a personal choice to process. A would you rather scenario of sorts, Kenny? Would you rather know the date of the end of the world? or know the cause of the end of the world. To be clear, if you choose the date, you will not know the cause. And if you know the cause, you won't know the date of when it will happen. Go. That is an interesting question. Like as you're as you're asking me this question, my brain's like, well, of course the date, but I'm like, oh, but if it's a cause, maybe there's potentiality to stop it. Well, the date you don't know if you'll be able to stop it or not because if we're talking like Mayan 2012 Mayan apocalypse. This thing's predestined. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to happen, happen no matter if what. It's an asteroid, you know, like like Greenland coming, you know, to hit, hit the world. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Try to survive. Those. So, but oh, knowing so the cause, this is where the question is exactly because knowing the cause, you think there's something you could do. Is there a virus that yes. I could potentially tell people about? We could prepare for this. Or something. I could be the guy on the street corner saying, "Don't buy this thing." You know, like, <laughs> The 5G is going to give you COVID, you know, like, yeah. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I, th- you know, I'm just going to gut reaction cause. You want to know the cause. So you yeah. want to, cause you want to be able to help society. I want to be able wow. to potentially like curb it from happening or maybe make the devastation smaller. What a good Samaritan we have in the room right here. We'll get there later. We'll get there. Inherently later. good. <laughs> Inherently we'll good. get there. Now for our listeners, we want your thoughts. On Spotify, and only on Spotify, when you click on this episode and scroll down, you can vote in a handy-dandy poll containing these two options. So please get your vote in, because we do check the results. For example, I'm looking at our results from our poll on our episode titled On Fear and Failure. 
we covered episode six, The Last of Us, in that episode. And the only failure seems to be my chances at victory. <laughs> Currently. <laughs> Currently, Kenny has gotten 100% of the votes <laughs> for whose skills are best suited for a survivalist setting. But, but, dear listener, the poll is not closed yet. Let me say it again. The polls are still open. You have a chance to give him pity points. Give me pity. I will take every pity point. You know what? My, my chances at this point are looking akin to Connor Roy's chances in the presidency in the upcoming season of success- Succession. But I am undeterred. Everyone, I will keep moving forward. I will live in unreality as long as the polls are open. And so. And here's the thing: I fully embrace the fact that I need Trevor to survive for coffee. I'm drinking coffee right now. That <laughs> is just you know simple little pot coffee, but I don't get like, I don't make tasty like ooh, isn't this nice fancy coffee on my own? That's what Trevor's there for. So I need that. <laughs> no, I get it. The only thing though is, so I did my reel last week. Bridger pointed out another friend of ours. He pointed out in a comment that. The, I'd made this whole reel about, you know, my, my top survivalist skill. It was almost my, it was a campaign promotion to my followers yeah to try to rally the vote, which didn't end up working, but he did point out one thing and it was all about me making coffee, that kind of thing. Took me forever in the morning, getting my Chemex out, trying to get the shots. Hillary was like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm like filming the shots of me making coffee. She didn't complain afterwards because she got to drink the coffee afterwards, but it was hilarious because Bridger, one of our friends, responds and he goes, well, don't you need fire to make the coffee? <laughs> and I was like counting on my electric heater to be working, which maybe it will work. Maybe I will have power. But I, I will admit that without fire, there's some technical difficulties in the, the process of making coffee. So I, I, will, I will get up in the morning, make a fire, and then I will go forage while you make us coffee. There Look it is. That. We've, we've forage. I like that word. Okay. Well, we... As you can tell, we have a symbiotic relationship here. Maybe something akin to an Ellie and Joel, you know, who actually not really though, because both of them are definitely more suited for a survivalist setting than I am. But nonetheless, now this is not all we want to talk about today. As previously stated, this project is all about examining apocalyptic betrayals across the multimedia landscape. Movies, shows, books, all end-of-the-world-related paraphernalia are within the parameters for this project. And so for today, we are continuing on, potentially ready to consider joining a friendly community of cannibals through exploring (laughs) Episode 8 of the hit HBO series, The Last of Us. So this is your spoiler warning. Anything within Episodes 1 through 8 are fair game. With this in mind, Kenny, what did you think of Episode number 8 of The Last of Us? It was... Very enjoyable. I will say, and I know they mentioned this in the after credit scene, like when this, watching this episode, I I physically felt cold. Mm. I, was, I, was, I was like, this is a cold episode. This reminds me of like childhoods in Minnesota. <laughs> like it's yeah. cold. Um, but you know, that's what Calgary in February will do to you. Well, we've been, okay. So Hillary and I, we went on vacation once to Calgary. So we switch off vacations because Hillary's more warm. She likes warm climates. I like cold climates. Yeah. And so we went to Calgary in, it was January a few years ago, and it was five degrees, I think, when you went outside. I mean, your face was frozen the second. So when yeah. I saw the episode they were talking about that, I was like, oh, I know what this is like. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And knowing that you can't go outside to play today, you'll die. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's cold. So. Do you think the climate in some ways mirrored the episode itself, like that coldness feeling? Oh, very much. Everyone yeah. had a... 
um, abrasiveness to them almost. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, even David as as friendly and nice as he was trying to be as you can as a as a creep. Um, <laughs> The rest of the people, uh, James, Timothy, Thomas, all those guys that were in his um, following, the the women there as well, all had a, a abrasiveness, a uh, cold front to them that they, they won't let people get close to them. Yeah, no, that's totally. And I think there's also almost like a a depravity of sorts in the episode that really was revealed yeah. where that coldness, uh, almost like not the violent heart part, but almost like a cold heart in some ways too, where the the climate and the characters aligned in this episode in a very pointed fashion. That was quite interesting. What, what else stood out to you in the episode? A lot of things. Um, let me look at my notes that I just turned off. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You know what? Have your device ready. I like that. Um, a simple thing about David and his following. Um, I like that they did not, as a Christian and having my faith, I like that they did not make a, a mockery or a like you know a such a rough look at what the christian faith looks like mm-hmm. i like that it's david's personification it's the way he's interpreting things that's who it is and i appreciated that that's just a simple small mm-hmm. thing but that, that that was like oh thank you because because watching the preview i was like oh how far are they gonna go with this i'm ready let's watch this and see what's going on and then yeah. seeing that i'm like oh cool it's someone's personifications it's someone's view of this yeah. so no that makes sense yeah, you can definitely see something within the the leader of David himself, as opposed to the community as a whole. And you see something of that akin to that shepherd and sheep dynamic or yeah. that kind of thing. So no, that is interesting. I Now, when you're speaking of the faith component, I do, when we were talking pre-pod, you had brought up, you'd made a, a comp to the book of Eli that mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because you were, you're talking about the book of Eli, you're talking about faith. Everyone knows the book of Eli, post-apocalyptic setting, Denzel, starring Denzel Washington. And it, it was interesting because you were talking about finding faith in the end of the world, or, or David in the, in the episode yeah. find, says he finds some sort of faith after the apocalypse takes place or in the midst of this post-apocalyptic setting, which seems untraditional, seems kind of out, out of sorts and stuff. But I, I guess you would brought up some thoughts on the role of belief systems in a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah. And I just was interested, could you speak more to this? I think it's interesting because like most um, apocalyptic movies, post-apocalyptic shows where like, you know, it continues on after the fact, any type of faith that they have, any type of, you know, be it a Christian or based off of an Eastern faith or, or Islam, it's always a bastardization of that faith. Yeah. It's always something they've taken and they've contorted to something that, you know, they, they combine or they, you know, they move on with because the things referenced in these holy books happened. Yes. You know, the end of the world has happened according to these books. So there seems so, to be, there's no reason for yeah, them to exist anymore. Yeah, why would you, you know, if, if, if you, you know, you know, if, if the end of the world comes, it doesn't follow the revelation, you know, of, of the Bible uh, predictions. Um, and now after the end of the world, after this, you know, this virus that turns people into, you know, mushroom zombies um, comes and you say, oh, I'm going to follow this faith. What's the draw to it? Because the mm-hmm. faith, the, 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 the things that would align to the faith of what's true and what's not no longer exist. Yeah. So it's interesting to see like in this aspect, you know, in Book of Eli, you know, you have somebody that's like, oh, here's the end of the world. He's protecting the Bible because he still believes it to be true. Oh, spoiler warning for the Book of Eli. <laughs> yeah, I mean, spoiler warning for a 15-year-old film. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know. 
but he's protecting a Bible. You, you know that movie. You just you can't once you figure out the end. You're like, oh, this fake. So it's one of those movies you have no idea what's going on. Exactly. Time, yeah. Okay, keep uh, going. But, but even with this, it's like David. He's like, oh yeah, I found my faith of this after the end times. After I watched what was happening with the um, the corpus uh, the cordycep cordycep. Um, after I was watching what happened to them, like this is how I found my faith. And it's like, but if if what that faith predicts as the end times does not come to play but the end you know apocalypse happens yeah. anyway what about that faith can you take as truth yes you know like if, if you're following christianity or islam you can take components you can take principles you can take moral values and lessons and go off from that but then you have to look at it and go is this you know we're living in an end times that doesn't line up with what was predicted or what was prophesied in these books you're hitting on the predict development of it yeah. where it in all these books, there maybe is a sense of predictive parts. Now, different people, different faiths can debate about, you know, how much of this is about today and how much is about tomorrow or the future or the past and all yeah. those kind of things. We don't need to get into those. But you're, you're hitting on there's an element of what do we do in the predictive portions. I think also there's what you're hitting on with the principle piece is really important as well because you start to ask the question, what are these principles still endure? in a post-apocalyptic setting, what sense of morals, what sense of morality, because yeah. there is a sense of lawlessness in a lot of post-apocalyptic settings where it is a certain, almost not a Western, but you know what I'm saying? The kind of you... It's the Wild West mentality. Yes. It's the it's the anything goes because what are rules anymore? You know, mm -hmm. society is a construct. Rules of society are a construct based on the governing class. So yes. it, if there's no governing class, what are the rules? Yep. And so that's that's kind of what it, it like, yeah, it, that's the, the morals and principles of a of a faith base. What does it apply to a post-apocalyptic end times? No, totally. And they get inverted a lot of times. Like I was thinking of a movie, uh, Triangle Sadness. It's a, one of the best picture nominees and, and all the, that kind of thing. And it was interesting because the, the second half sort of like a Lord of the Flies situation yeah, yeah. where it's all about kind of a critique of the rich on this fancy yacht. But then they all end up, their yacht capsizes basically in the storm. And then um, who, everyone who survives ends up on this island and it inverts the poor and the rich of who actually is on top on the island. It's part of the social critique of it. But there is a total like inversion of what do we do in this place where the traditional good and bad systems of just belief or systems of hierarchies, when those get almost subverted in a lot of ways. I, I do think when we're talking about even just matters of faith, I think in a, in a less extreme version there is actually, it's really similar to what happens when we go through difficult and challenging times. Because yes, there are times where faith helps you cope with difficulty, mm -hmm. but there's also times where faith seems counterintuitive when you're in the midst of difficulty with the loss of a loved one or something, or the sudden, a sudden tragedy takes place. And in some ways, faith can give you the words to be able to process that or the, the, the community and the group of people. But at the same time, it can feel like uh, that struggle with belief, that struggle with tension, um, where it seems like maybe your faith has less of a clear benefit or mm -hmm. maybe less of a utility. It feels like it, even in some circumstances, can feel detrimental at times to your circumstances. And I think that really draws us to the place of doubt as well, because you know we, we hear this exchange early on between David and James. And he, you know, David's trying to find like, are you with me? You know, yeah. he's really, it's like they leave this church service of sorts, a pseudo church service. And, you know, David says to James, James, I sense doubt in there, but I need to know you're with me. And you can tell there's this exchange, but there's what we find in David's leadership is there's not room for doubt. 
yeah, there's not room for any type of questioning or concern. So doubt from a lot of pl- times comes from a place of concern mm-hmm. that, hey, I've noticed something. And it's not that I don't believe, like, you know, the, like the scripture, you know, verse, I, I believe, but help my own belief. Yeah. You know, it's like there's these things that are causing me to be concerned. And it led, lends for a seed of doubt, which is good because then you have the chance and ability to talk with whoever's in charge. You talk with your leader and say... I want to go over this. Let's work on this. Reassure me, which is a, a duty of a leader to reassure the people following them that they know what they're doing. Yes. You know, blind blind faith in humanity is very non-constructive. Mm-hmm. It tends to lead to a collapse of whatever group or society because the people don't have something to hold on to. Yes. And so in this aspect, you know, James asks some questions of David, and then David is coming back with a you know, very kind in his demeanor you know, almost not, not, not mean, but very almost, you know, patronly of, well, do you, you need to trust me? Do you trust me? I sense doubt, but there's an underlying threat mm. in that. He's threatened by, yeah. there's no room for doubt in the relationship or in that community. Yeah. Is if what you're saying. you doubt me, you don't belong. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And there's, there's a challenge there because we're hitting on dynamics of doubt. And I think what you're saying is there's a really important element of doubt. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Doubt is important. Every like doubt is doubt whether you're doubting, you know, your relationship with people, whether you're doubting your faith. It's always good because it com- brings you to a place of questioning what's real. Mm. And having the ability to doubt, having the ability to break things down and go what's real in this faith, what's real in this relationship makes things stronger because you start getting w- rid of all the things that maybe don't add up to what it should be, but you have the core, the nucleus, and then you can grow from that. And then even with within a uh, society like with David's followers, if he had allowed a place for people to sit and question, sit and talk, it might have not have been this, we have to eat people to survive. Maybe there might have been people that have been willing to offer more suggestions. Because if you're not allowed to doubt, you're not allowed to question, which means you're not allowed to bring a suggestion to someone in charge, because then that comes across as you don't believe in it. You're questioning me. Yeah. You're questioning, and you're not just, in this sort of faith community we're hitting on, for David... When people question, it's not that they're just doubting. It's not really about doubting God as as much about doubting David. That they're yeah. doubting his leadership, and he's conflated the two in a lot of ways. And I think you're hitting on. It's not just a faith community thing. When we're hitting on elements of doubt, when we live in a culture that is so polarized, it any sharing, whether it's in political political systems, whether it's in the school system, whether it's in you know faith communities, all the above, any expression of contrary beliefs or doubt and all those kind of things can quickly lead to the polarization factor that leaves no room for there to be questioning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We have to allow for people to be the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. You have to allow for people to look at the situation and say, well, let's look at it from the other side because I want to know that you know what you're talking about from all angles. Yeah. Not just that you have this belief, but that you know what you're talking about. And doubt allows for that. Allowing people to question allows for that. And if you as a leader don't allow for that, you're going to have a crumbled following because you'll have people falling away that just go, that's not worth my time. Yes. No, that makes a lot of sense. And you, yeah, you're, you're, you're really hitting on that place of, um, and you know, another sub theme off of this, we're kind of hitting on some really big things right now, but out of doubt is when we're hitting on David's leadership as well, because a corollary thing, I wouldn't say it's the it's not a main theme, but it's a thread you can pull on in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Is that of just the questioning and not having room for questioning and almost a 
authoritarian type of leadership yeah. in place where, I mean, are the places where you see forms of abuse. Like I was thinking of when James questions David about his desire to save Ellie in the beginning. And James proposes, well, maybe this is God's will, which I, I'm not trying to get in the what is God's will or not kind of conversation, yeah. but he, he proposes, well, what is God's will? And David gives him that look that he can't be questioned. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think in a lot of places where there's places of abuse or manipulation in any form of leadership, the matter of God's will or some larger belief system or the will of whatever you believe is the highest, you know, kind of being or the law of the land or something gets intertwined with the leader's will. Yeah. And they become complete, they become conflated and they become unquestionable. And so like in this episode to doubt David is to doubt God in a lot of ways, which is a, a similar track in places where spiritual leaders or political leaders are above repro- reproach or questioning uh, do you see that thread in this episode? Oh yeah, definitely. I see that. There's like you know, just watching David and how he responds with you know, with the, especially with that scene where James is, I don't think mocking in any way. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's approaching it as a well, maybe it's God's will type yeah. of you know. It's a maybe this is you know, like have we not thought about this? Maybe yes. this is something. And the look David gives him, as you were saying, of this like, who who do you think you are? Type of look. I'm the chosen one. I am the one that's leading you, your shepherd. I'm the one that's in spiritual authority. And I think that that, A, it just reminded me of some, you know, past <laughs> past instances I've been in with uh, both uh, uh, spiritual abuse from uh, people above me and how I've had to walk through that. Uh, so it was, I, got, I know what that is and I can see that. And so watching that, it's like, that's, that's something that's common in, in today's society is not just in the, on the spiritual side of things, but on any type of like, you know, whether it's, um, a business, you know, a, a boss, a worker dynamic, there's all this area for, uh, downward abuse. Um, how do you, do you mind me asking, and this might be too personal, it's too personal, don't worry about it, but how do you, cause again, you're hitting on, it's not just, we're not just speaking about faith community, the, the episode is based within a faith community. Yeah. So it's really spurned a lot of our conversation when we've thought about the episode and the the context for a lot of these conversations and what's happening in the episode is based in the in the faith community. So for anyone who's listening who hasn't watched the episode yet, that's why the faith part is coming out so much here because that is the context from the very beginning when you see like the church banner that he will provide or whatever yeah. on the in the lodge and they open with a reading of Revelation chapter 21. But I do, I guess I'm interested... How do you walk through that? Like when, if you're in a place of, uh, I don't know if the word's disillusionment or you're, you're working through places of, if someone's in a similar place of working through spiritual abuse or just leadership, people overstepping, because we've, we live in a time where, uh, there's never been such a precarious place for really just the revealing of, of the fallenness of our leaders in all of our institutions if you're on the receiving end, that what are helpful things? Like, how do you work through that? I mean, first is therapy. I mean, when, if we were just removing ourselves from like talking about the last of us for a minute mm-hmm. and going into how we deal with abuse, therapy is important. That's something that took me a long time to get to. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got, you know, was talking to a therapist and a counselor, it just able to process where, and you know, how, how, how the feelings I have, like anxieties and things, being able to track them down, process them, go through them. Therapy is very important. Um, surrounding yourself with good friends, mm. you know, that's like, don't close yourself off. 
I think that's one of the hardest things to do is you tend to try to put yourself in this protective bubble where since this has happened to me and hurt me, I will now create a shield around myself so that I can't, I won't let anything happen to me again, but Mm. you lose the place of vulnerability with people that do love you and want to support you. Well, it's like a Joel in a lot of ways too, where you see, you totally see some post-apocalyptic just to bring it to the episode too, is like Joel is closed off to Ellie for so long, partly loss of his daughter and the traumas, but also the years of pain he's experienced of being betrayed, of living in the streets, of the who can I actually trust and yeah. the fear of strangers. And so, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So being, you know, therapy, vulnerability, if you have faith, if you are a person of a faith background, question it. Mm. Find someone you can you can dialogue with, someone you be, you, you trust inherently with, with you, you can just go to. Um and bring up questions that they're not going to judge you for. They're going to sit and they're going to talk. They might play devil's advocate against you just so that they can see if it's a, an emotional response you're having or if it's a a, a place of um, something you've been processing, of, of dialogue you need to go through. Um, having that, you know, a therapist helps you with that, but having someone in the same faith background with you as well to be able to process if it's a faith-based abuse um, it really helps. Yeah, with or that. someone who's in that community, yeah. right? Someone you can pro- co- talk with. I think you're hitting on something too that's important. No matter the context of the community, is you're talking about dialogue with actual people mm-hmm. because we're not talking about posting on social media. Yeah, we're not talking about entering into your echo chamber that you live in. We're speaking of your, your intersecting with other people, and I think that's always the challenge in our culture. Is we spoke of this in our last episode about the mall and stuff. Yeah. Is, when you don't have shared communal spaces, they're not as regular or popular today and everything's gone digital. Yes, there is a digital conversation, no question, but there's something to physical proximity when you're actually sitting down, you're in conversation, you're, you're, you're breaking bread together of sorts that really opens up that dialogue because I feel like the, when I'm online, there's certain things I'm willing to say that I'm not willing to say when I'm actually sitting with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever I'm a lot of or emails, anything else, I'm trying to remind myself, would I actually say this if they were in front of me? No, exactly. And I think that's, I've, I've removed myself from social media except for Instagram. I mean, TikTok because this isn't just because you're a survivalist. No, okay. it's just, you know, the political, <laughs> the, the last political election, like about, about six months before, like, you know, voting happened. I'm like, I'm stepping back. It's just become too volatile. Too oh, anxiety. Harsh. And your anxiety, and personal anxiety has just skyrockets. People that, people that I thought were very close friends all of a sudden are saying things that I'm like, you would never say to each other in person. But yeah. you're having these moments where because you're sitting behind a keyboard, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, you're an internet troll. Um, so... I mean, except for yeah, Instagram, where I follow lots of bands and, and chefs. <laughs> yeah, but you're hitting on something important. You're not saying we totally leave the voting process, but you're saying the echo chambers that we live in, mm-hmm. removing from the echo chambers to be able to enter into, to not get stuck in the, not the, almost the shame spiral or the, the, what's the word for it? Just the, the nature of our discourse now through media and stuff has become so volatile. that You can find an echo chamber for anything you believe online. Yes. And I think that's something when going through uh, abuse, spiritual abuse, um, leadership abuse, um, stay away from echo chambers. Mm. Because if you get into one, especially with spiritual abuse, this is something I've noticed, um, you can find one and you could just spiral down. And all it does is it feeds on the negative components of it. There's, there's places where you can go and have open conversation. You can have dialogue about, this is what I'm feeling. And people can share their stories. 
and sharing their stories from a vulnerable place where they're able to talk about things and work through things. And someone goes, I have been in that same boat. Here's how I've, how I've processed it. Here's how I've moved through it versus going into a chat room or um, a forum or, you know, some Facebook group that all it does is like, let's talk about the bad leaders that we see. And all of it does, is it just spirals downward and there's no healing. There's no growth. There's no looking at the wound, addressing the wound and going, this needs to be fixed. Let's figure out how we can, you know, clean it, bandage it, make sure it's healed. It's just consistently looking like there's a wound here. Yeah. You're talking about learning to live on of sorts, the really learning to live on the solution side of the problem in a lot of ways it's one of those where you're always trying to live on the side of finding oh finding ways to actually contribute finding ways to actually be a part of the solution because it's 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 much easier to be on the problem side and to stay there versus saying i actually have something to contribute i have actually something because when you actually lean into contribution it opens you up to all the foibles of community, of, of the brokenness of community, of the tensions with other people. And so there's always that tension at work. So no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else you'd want to add on just how to work through places of when you've been hurt? I guess we're talking about the leader follower dynamic, yeah. but in a lot of ways it just applies to any place of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness as well. Is there any, anything else you would add other than therapy and, and really sitting down with friendship and relationship? Mm-hmm. One thing is accept the fact that you might not be able to talk to the leader about it. Mm. And that's something I, you know, my therapist was talking to me about as well. Um, and I've heard from other speakers is, is accept the fact that at times you're not going to be able to, um, you're not gonna be able to address that leader and say, this is what you've done to me. Yeah, you be- might not get the opportunity. You're not going to get the saying. opportunity. To well, then that's that. just leaders. Sometimes that's a spouse. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's a child. You may not actually have the opportunity to say, in an ideal situation, you get to give credence and voice to the things that you're feeling, but you're saying that sometimes you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. to be able to understand that you can still heal without giving that voice and that credence. You can still move through process and come to a new and better place without having the ability to, you know, look your, you know, look your uh, accuser in the eye. You know? you know, that's an interesting point. So it, you're making me think of, so how do we process, how do we cope with pain? And I think if we've noticed something in The Last of Us, it's leaders' inability mm-hmm. to actually process pain and the cost of that, not just for themselves, but the cost for the entire community. Yeah. I, this quote by I, in the ringer, on The Ringer, quote by a guy named Daniel Chin, I just thought this was really brilliant. He said, the cost of revenge is high in The Last of Us. And the series continues to emphasize that takeaway. In a world where infected hordes can rise out of the ground like swarming ants at any moment, it's still human conflict in the endless cycle of violence and the pursuit of vengeance that keeps tearing communities apart. And I just thought that was so pointed because, you know, most will focus on the cordycep hordes and all the above. Absolutely terrifying. Humans still can't hide from the evil within themselves. Exactly. And the depravity within themselves. And there's still a tension that's arising. And just think of all the communities we've seen collapse. Like I think of Kathleen, for example, in that Mm -hmm. moment where she's trying to get revenge towards Henry, yet the hordes are coming out, destroying everything she's built and led. And you just start to find that there's almost this, these leaders who are willing to let go of their larger responsibilities for the sake of vengeance, for the bitterness inside of them. 
No, 100%. And I think you see that with David a little bit. It's he's a he's a terrible person because he wants to Ellie for very nefarious reasons. Yeah, and, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Yeah, there, yeah, but he's like their their communal gathering place is burning down. He sees he turns, he sees the fire in the corner and does not address the fact. Oh, that just lets it go. There's a fire here. I should approach this. I'm the leader of this community. Here's a gathering place where we have actual food and, and a meeting place where there's warmth. I'm going to let this burn down, which will completely gut our community for the sake of me having that moment of revenge yes. or awful passion. No, totally. The, there's, there's a focus there of, that's really on self. There's a focus there on just the cost I guess, like I've already said, the cost of revenge, the cost of unforgiveness, the cost of interstitial. I mean, I think you're also hitting on something we had said is just the cost of. I mean, I guess David's not the best example because there's an there's an evil there. There's, there's a, an inherent evilness. Yes, there's a. It's like it also makes me think of there's a there's a violence as he says. You know that one quote I was I was thinking about with violence was, I thought really interesting, where he's speaking about the place of violence and when he tells Ellie that you have a violent heart. Mm. And I just thought that that conversation about violence was interesting because he's getting to, well, one, I, he's speaking to about himself, but he's also speaking about Ellie. Yeah. And there's something about that, that violence in the episode, that sense of violence that, um, that I thought was fascinating. And actually, you know, it was interesting hearing the creators talk in the post credits because they make clear that that line about a violent heart was not in the original game. Yeah. It's actually something they they added into the story. And so I'm actually really curious about what it's a prelude to, because in one sense, it's a reflection of David, mm -hmm. but because they added it, it seems to be a foreshadowing or prelude with Ellie herself. Yeah. That there's something to come. That's really going to drive the point home that she has this inherent violent streak hiding in her heart. Yeah. And I'm trying to make sense of that. And I don't know, it, it may not be something in this season. It may be a future season, yeah, but it's something I've been processing of what to, why would they add that and what, because you, you, you'd hit something earlier too, where it's the, that juxtaposition of when she leaves the lodge as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And do you want to hit on that more? Yeah. That so I point. thought it was really interesting. Um, when she leaves the lodge, when, she, when she comes out, the lodge is burning behind her. She is pale as a ghost. A, because she hasn't seen sun in the snow. B, that's, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, she wasn't getting the, a tan. But yeah, like Calgary, the, you don't get the, a tan in yeah, Calgary, unfortunately. The adrenaline, the, the, the fear inside of her, she's pale. But then the blood from David on her, it's not her blood, it's David's blood on her face, is so bright red. And I'm like, that's just like, to me, I looked at it and I said, that's a loss of innocence. Mm. This is the moment where she's turned a corner. And this is her first on-screen kill of a person. Oh, and that stabbing scene was... Yeah, I mean, you, you almost want to just turn your head and close your eyes because it's yeah. violent. Yeah. Well, well, and so you see her shoot someone in Kansas City, but he doesn't die. Oh, yeah. You know, Joel kills him off screen. You see her kill James, but that's a self-defense. She has to get away, so she takes something and swings. She doesn't know where she's hitting. She hopes she just hits. That's a self-defense, so she doesn't die. David has already been hit. He's on the ground. She could have left him to burn to death. Because he's been hit in the neck. He's, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, she could have just left him, I she guess. Could have just, yeah. She could have just run out. But instead, she turns around and butchers him. Mm -hmm. She just goes to town. And so it's this moment of she lets into that that place she's only seen other people have. Mm. And like, so, it, like in a Joel or what Joel's 
foreshadowed or alluded to throughout the series. Exactly. That he said multiple times that there are these spaces he's not willing to talk about and go to. And you're saying this is one of the first first times that we know of mm-hmm. that Ellie's gone to this place of... Almost to where it's the PTSD scene from the sec- or first episode where he's beating up the guard mm. and kills the guard with his fists. She sees that him just lose it in that moment. And this is her spot where she loses it in that moment. You know, no, that that's a really good point. And there's something, the question is raised, can she come back from this? Because there is a question of how will she be able to cope and respond what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. in the finale in this penultimate episode how will she move forward and and will she move forward i mean i I don't know what what do you what are your thoughts on how she moves forward that's a good i mean because you have the relationship between her and joel is now stronger yes um as we've seen from the last episode into this episode oh and the baby girl and the baby girl comment which i thought was I thought was amazing. It, like as I noticed it, and I was like, "Oh, that's so that's beautiful." You know, when he's he's Joel was not there to save her. Joel was there to be a comfort and a shelter at the end. Yes. But I was talking with Andrew, our youth minister, and he asked, he's like, "Hey, what do you think of this episode?" And so we we're talking, and he was like, "Yeah, no, that scene where she runs out and Joel's holding her, cradling her head, and he goes, i 'I've got you, baby girl.'" You know, I'm like, he goes, "That's Ugh. he goes, that's the adoption scene." Ooh. He goes, "That's the scene where he's now adopted her as his daughter," and I went, "Oh." That's what I've been looking to how to describe it. And so, Andrew, if you're listening, that's thank you for that. Um, but I'm like, that's so true. Like, he is, it's been this emo- this whole long process of him. She's not just cargo. She's not just a kid that I'm watching. She's not just this fun little person that's following me. She is now someone I have these emotions towards as a daughter. And then he wakes up. You know, she hands him the knife. He's kind of coming out of a grog, coming out of a sleep. Don't, you know, if someone comes in here, you stab them. They're a bad men. And so all he knows is that there are people out to kill him and Ellie. Yeah, and it's time to it's time to fight. And it's time to fight. And he goes on this rampage, which is just incredible. But well, okay, that... okay, I I don't want to set us off here, but okay, minor yeah. nitpick: How did Joel recover so quickly? The miracle drug of penicillin. <laughs> okay, and then the other okay that was minor nitpick. And then the other question I had was, and then we'll get back to where you were. Sorry, I'm totally ruining our train of thought. Reel here. it in. No, Reel it in for me. Is, yeah. Okay, is. Does that actually? I didn't ask a medical professional. I should ask my mom. Does that? Does penicillin actually work if you just shoot it in the wound like that? I know, right? I'm just like it's going straight into that wound. I'm like, doesn't it have to like go someplace? Else? I mean, hey, if that works, I should have YouTube it. Yeah. Okay, what were you saying before this? Before but so he, I so he goes, Yeah, yeah. Joel is just <laughs> on this rampage of I need to find Ellie. I need to save Ellie. It's another moment where he's going in to be the savior and ends up not being the savior. Mm. Same with Tommy. But with it, I think it's it's different. Where with Tommy, it was this: I'm going in to be the savior. I'm, but everything's all better. I don't need to be there. With Ellie, it was I'm going in to be the savior. I didn't get there in time. She saved herself, but I'm here to be the comfort she needs. Oh, um, that's a really interesting point. That there's a theme of him not thinking he's the savior, not being the savior. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And then I think he so he, all he knows is that these people are terrible. Whoever it is, they're out to get them. Then he gets to the the. You know, the meat shop is all you can really call it when he opens the door and there's on the ground, the horse oh. and, and then he oh. turns a corner and then there's a deer hanging there. And then he turns just a little bit for, further and there's the three bodies. Oh my gosh. There. That was so gross. And so for him now, it's not even just a, oh, these are terrible people. What, what they might do. How am I going to get her away? It's they might kill her right now. And so he's on track to try to get to her. And so I think in that moment he realizes 
it's, 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 that's where it's like becomes, she is not just like, like a daughter to me. She is now mine. Yes. And so when she comes out and she is just in shock and has the thousand yard glare and she's hitting, you know, as, as he goes to grab her and she's hitting him and she turns around and she sees him and collapses into him and he's cradling her in her head. And he's like, I've got you, baby girl. That's the moment when he went, oh, our relationship is more than just even kind of father-daughter. She's now mine. Yeah, that's the sort of moment that you, the payoff that we've been building to throughout the season. And we haven't had the full payoff because this is the penultimate episode. It's not the final episode. There seems to be there's going to be more of a payoff in the finale. But at this point... It's that what we it's that moment we've been building to, but what we didn't expect in the building the build up was that it wasn't gonna be which actually now now that we're looking back, I can see how the theme of Joel not saving the day, but thinking he will save the day is a theme, especially like a Tommy example. But in the moment you're thinking that he's going to be the one to save the day. Yeah. And but then it ends up being more about Ellie. And I actually this raised a question for me was who is the main character of the show? Not that there has to be one main character, but because they are no question they're a tandem. There's yeah. no question about it. But in the beginning of the show, we expect it to be Joel. Like the arc of the development from the opening episode seems to be about Joel's life and his development, his arc with his daughter, all the above. But this, I guess this episode made me wonder if the show is more about Ellie in some ways and her development because this doesn't mean it's not about Joel. And again, they're a tandem. So I may be sparsing out something that's unnecessary to sparse out. Cause it's about the, the dy- dynamism of the show is their shared mutuality, their shared relationship that really it's that baby Yoda Mandalorian relationship that we're, we're, we're watching yeah. right now unfold in the new season, which have you been watching the new season of Mandalorian? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going well, to, it's the new it's... season's great. I actually, we just, my kids have finally hit the the age where they can watch it with us. Nice. It's been a father son moment. Just good, say that much. Good. Anyways, but this this episode made me just ask the question: Will like in future seasons as well? Are we pivoting more towards an Ellie as almost a main character? What is Joel's place long term? Especially because of his age and his health and all the other things. It mm-hmm. just made me raise who is the main character, if that makes sense. So I think when you start the first episode, Joel's the main character. Yes. Second episode, Joel is the main character. Ellie's here. You know she's going to be a part of it. You have episode three, which is Bill and Frank. And I think that's a reset to yep. where you come into episode four and it's Joel and Ellie as the main characters. It's a duo at this point. Oh, that's true. So I think that's from episode four on now. It's been like you might have more Joel heavy episodes. You might have more Ellie episode heavy episodes, depending on what, you know, needs to be spoken. You know, you have, I think episode six is more of a Joel heavy episode about who he is as his character, what he's going through. Episode seven, obviously, is an Ellie episode. It's a flashback. This one, I think, is more of an Ellie episode. It, it is more of a focusing on what her troubles are going through. It's not until the last five minutes where Joel comes in and does something. So it's Ellie having to process who she can trust as something we've talked about on several, you know, as a theme that runs through this entire series, trust, um, how far is she willing to go? Mm-hmm. And you know, what, what she's, what she's willing to take away from to get what she needs. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're hitting on, yeah, the development seems to lean towards Ellie in a lot of ways that may be not unexpected, but it, it's more than just a, you know, when I joke about the Mandalorian, Mandalorian Baby Yoda dynamic or something, it's not that she's a sidekick. Yeah. She's become a main character on this journey now. 
where they're a duo where they need each other mm-hmm. and, and that does come back to you because though he doesn't he doesn't save her literally he does become the emotional shelter that she needs in the process to be able to move forward and so you know that makes a lot of sense about the development of the characters you know and i i think that really makes me actually kind of how would i say it 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 makes me process and lean into what i think is the main point i i this this episode was a bit harder for me to determine or surmise the central point just because there's so much going on. Yeah. I mean there's it's a penultimate episode as I already said. So it should do to it should begin to tie together the various thematic threads before the conclusion while simultaneously also creating intrigue before the closer, setting up attention for what's to happen next, which mm-hmm. this episode does all of that and more. And and there's so much powerful dialogue interspersed with dynamic action it just it feels like when you're watching it you're you're playing catch up the entire time yeah you know it's 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 borderline stressful <laughs> as well it's a, it's a i told hillary before i'd watch it and then my wife and i rewatched it and i just was she was like what'd you think and i was like just put your seatbelt on yeah <laughs> so it's gonna be but i i did think based on the title the title of the episode was when we are in need I thought there was a, this was really revealing for the core premise at work. That's a common in most apocalyptic portrayals was the question of central is what do you do when in the place of need, when in the moment of absolute desperation? Mm-hmm. Because all of these shows, movies, whatever books, we're attracted to them because they're putting people in the most intensive situations, the most extreme form of what we regularly encounter in normal life. And so I think episode eight, it really, it gave us answers in the individual and the communal form. And they're meant to be this contrast. And so individually, the clearest example is what we've already talked about with Ellie. You know, without Joel to provide and protect for really the first time in the series, you're not including the flashback, but even in the flashback, she had a Riley that was a sort of shelter of sorts, someone who was just as strong or stronger stronger than she was. And so, for example, this episode, she's brought in and she's put in a cage. She has to grapple with the reality that no one is potentially coming to save her as, mm-hmm. as David's casting down. And as he ominously observes, I thought at this point, his quote was interesting. He says, you got to face reality that part of your life, it's ending. And what I'm offering you is a beginning. But if you can't find a way to trust me, then yes, you are alone. And he's observing and giving words to the the palpable tension throughout this episode is what will Ellie do when she has to save herself Though we don't know till the very end. And I thought this episode was brilliant in the way it it's, it pans between the shots of Joel coming and then Ellie and David, especially when the build, the fire starts and you're thinking the whole time, Joel's going to burst through the doors, but he never does. And you find that this story in the end is not about a potential savior but pure survival. Yeah. It's a narrative about Ellie coming to grips with her individuality. It's Ellie coming to grips with her being alone and what she does in that moment. And this concept is not just about individuals as we see in Ellie, but it's also a communal one in this pseudo church group under David's leadership. As we find out early in the episode, the group has, has only a week or two left of food. As Ellie calls the hunger club. (laughs) That was, a week or two left of food, even after they've cannibalized dead bodies. Yes, totally. And like you just said, we, we see revealed midway that they have gone to cannibalism. Desperation has driven them to eat their own dead, which reveals yet another way 
another way that a group has decided to exist and to survive in the most extreme of situations. And the show keeps putting its finger on how these various communities, whether in Boston, whether in Kansas City, now in Silver Lake, are their decisions in these different communities are in many ways a matter of perspective. As David, I thought the quote where he eerily says was kind of an interesting summation of what we've learned so far in the show is, he says, what does cordyceps do? Is it evil? No, it's fruitful. It multiplies. It feeds and protects its Mm -hmm. children and it secures its future with violence. If it must, it loves. And though at times this, this, my first reaction to this quote was kind of eerie, definitely creepy. Like this guy's a a straight, uh, uh, definitely a weirdo, creep, uh, creep, all the above. But I thought it was one of the most clarifying points of the season because the show displays, and I, the showrunners, they, they spoke of this after the episode too, is the show shows a certain agnosticism towards evaluating the decisions of these communities mm-hmm. because they know they're in the most extreme of forms of situations. And so they're making the point that success in a lot of these for survival comes down to perspective. So whether individually or community trying to survive, we're asked to consider the question, and this is why we're drawn to these sort of shows, is what would we do in such a situation? which is, again, one of the most common tropes of apocalyptic portrayals, as this, it, there's almost always a, I guess I'd say, animalistic, instinctual tendency being tapped into, which in a less extreme form, all of us know those times when no one is coming to save you. Yeah. No one is coming to help. Like, and you must make your own way. This doesn't mean you don't have community. This doesn't mean you don't have family or friendships you rely on. Of course, you need all of those things. But there are times and these shows hit on it where you have to find the answer. You have to move forward. You have to find a way where there is no way. And that's really what we're, we're asked with is how far are you willing to go? Where is the line? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there's something more, more human and more common than this. And it's something that causes all the rest. Although we don't, we're not in a post-apocalyptic setting, though yeah. we're not those situations. And the line isn't the same as me butchering someone with a knife, who you know, all the above in a fire burned down building. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yes, not yet. But there is something. I, I'm wondering, how do you think the show intends us to take away? Because we've already talked about there's a there's a difference between the church community and David. It seems like. Yeah. How do you think, what are we supposed to intend to take away from this community as opposed to the other communities that we've seen? I think the other communities, um, well, this community, they live in fear of David. Yes. I mean, the other communities, I don't think the Kansas City group lived in fear of Kathleen as much as they like lived in like a revenge mindset. Of being, yeah, because she was tapping into an impulse she, that they wanted because yeah, of the QZ. Exactly. They were, she was tapping into the impulse of, you know, let's tear this mother down. You know, yeah. like, um, but I think with David's group, they live in a a kind of a place of fear. You see that when one of the, when one of the girls says, you know, like we should just kill him. You know, like this is what we should do, and he walks over and just slaps her. Oh gosh, um, that moment. And so I think they live in a place of like David. They know David is willing to go to an extreme mm-hmm. to stay as a leader to assert his authority. Yes. So they live in a place of almost fear as their community. If that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, they're in a constant fear. They're in a place of, 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 of wrestling. I mean, that the fear part and how far will you go? I, I was thinking about the cannibalism piece some more too. And gosh, when you see the severed ear. Yeah. So I had watched it the first time. 
and when you see the severed ear, you, you the first thing you go is, are they eating people? Like you're just you're visceral. And I when I reach out rewatch it with Hillary, I watched her reaction in that scene, and she had the exact same gut. She goes, are they eating people? <laughs> and the, I just the cannibalism thing was so interesting. I the moment that happens to with the ear, it makes you reconsider everything you've seen before. Mm-hmm. The scene where they're, the guy comes out and she goes, what's this? He goes, venison. And they start cooking. Oh, and yeah. everyone, like, the, the way they're eating, just like this, like, I just got to eat as much as I can, as fast as I can to make sure I have the food in me. Well, James isn't, yep. You don't you don't see that if it's just normal food. The type of times you see that in a post-apocalyptic or, like, um, like a dystopian context. dystopian context is when it's something that you know, it's, you know, Soylent Green is people, you know, that's... That's when you see it. It's when you know it's something that goes so far past the line. Yes. But these people have to. And so that, like, seeing the ear and then thinking back to that scene, I was like, oh, give me the shivers. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And you think about when the girl is asking when they can bury her dad. Yeah. There's no dad anymore. Oh, yeah. They, they ate dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that scene. And then when they, when they all get the food, they start scarfing it down and they show James. Because I don't think the community, from what I understand, knew... Do you think the community knew? I no, think only the um, few leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. David said there's like three of us that know you'd be in on the group when he's talking to Ellie. Yep. And James, you can tell they flash in that scene and he slows down and he's slowly eating it. And you can tell he knows something as opposed to everyone who's scarfing something down in that moment as well. Yeah. The, the cannibalism thing's interesting because I was thinking of... for So, so there's been a few examples of this as like a cultural trope in recent. I was thinking of the movie The Menu, uh, the show Yellow Jackets in the last few years. Like cannibalism seems to be coming up, and I was just wondering, is it, is this something in vogue right now? I, I don't know. <laughs> cannibalism's back in style. No, I, I was trying to think, is there like a greater human point here? And I was like, man, I can't come up with something. I maybe it's just a, you know, like multiversal storytelling. It's it's a common trope that's just gonna be. I don't know. I was trying to wrestle with why that is a thing. I think because but... cannibalism is so taboo, and. Whether in scripture, and I think not only in, in Christian scripture and Hebrew scripture, but I think like I think in um, Islam and so many other uh, spiritual texts, cannibalism is so taboo that it's the one taboo that um, it's the one thing where you can put in where it's they had to cross that line. It shows how far mm. they have to go, or the depravity of the person, or the depravity of the situation. Yeah, there's not a there's not a pro cannibalism camp out there. No, <laughs> and, and if you are, then you need to seek some guidance because they're just you know maybe go maybe just stay away from society. Yeah, that would maybe li- go live in your echo chamber. Yeah, go live in your echo chamber. <laughs> go find a place in the woods by yourself. Just don't. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Is there is there anything else that stood out to you in this episode? I like having Ellie have to make decisions on her own. It was very mm. good. I think at the beginning when she goes hunting, um, uh, sidetrack. In the beginning, when you see her lay down with Joel to give him warmth and comfort, it was it was very it was a good moment. Yeah, like breaking the little food, yeah, yeah, and giving it to him, and then she like lays down. And she kind of like gets down on him, and it's like this place of comfort of giving him warmth because he's cold. She gets warmth from him, but there's also this like bonding. Um, going further on, when she goes hunting, <clears throat> and she shoots a deer, then has to track the deer, which I'm like, hey, yay! Joel taught her how to do that. Good for her. But then she stumbles on the two guys. In that moment, she has to decide if she believes people are inherently good. 
ah. or inherently bad because you have David who's like, Hey, we're just like, we can split it. You know, you can take it back. Like, let's talk about things. What can we give you? Like, is there anything we, our society can give you? And she goes, medicine. And then David's like, okay, yeah, we'll get you medicine. You know, um, James, you go back, get that. I'm not giving you any type of like, you know, you know, special type of like, you know, do this instead, go get the medicine. Um, and then he's like, Hey, let's go drag this over here where we can make a fire. So she, in this moment, she's having to decide, like, does she believe people are, are good or bad? Mm. Does she believe she can trust people or not? And I think you kind of see her sort of letting her guard down, um, when they're sitting by the fire and Joel's or, um, um, David's talking about his faith and how he came to his faith. And it's just kind of interesting. And then James pops out with a gun after David's like, you know, one of our members, the member that Joel killed in episode seven, what the other guy that stabbed him um, was killed by a man who was bringing uh, with a young girl. Yeah, and everything turns. And at that's that when that's when she's like, I can't trust you know this guy. Um, that inherently good and bad part is really interesting because there is, in all forms of anthropology of just studying humanity and studying humans, there are these two angles of depravity and dignity. Yeah, where you could different scriptural text and just not just any community people generally have individually a view of humanity when they lean one direction so whether it's depravity that humans are inherently evil they're not to be trusted or there's almost this other extreme where humans are dignified are uh what would be the word for it we are in a place where we inherently do good things and there's those two polar and yeah. Usually it's somewhere in the middle, you know, like most communities land somewhere in the middle, but there are those extremes where we're always wrestling between those polarities mm -hmm. and it relates to the theme of trust. Cause you go like, can I trust? It's like that line David says, where he says to Ellie around the fire, same scene. He says, it's hard to trust strangers. Yeah. And I just thought that was a poignant point in general because it, it even in, not in a post apocalyptic setting, it's just hard to trust people you don't know. Yeah. And it's it, really hard to, it's costly to build relationships. Well, we, we are told not to, uh, not to trust strangers, not to talk to strangers. Mm. You know, like our generation is like, don't talk to strangers. Don't take candy from strangers. Don't talk to strangers. And so you get into a spot where a stranger offers you help. And now you're the in help that, you need the help yep. you need the name of the episode when yes. you're in need. Ah, um, yeah. Uh, you have to choose whether or not you believe a, how I was raised, don't talk to strangers because you don't know what their desires are. Or B, is man good? Mm. So yeah, and you almost you want to you want to be able to believe humans are good, but then at the same time, there seems to be so many examples that humans aren't good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just open a history book. <laughs> yeah, open it. No, and I, that's it's always that cycle. And again, I between depravity and dignity, it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, mm -hmm. that's usually how humans most of these texts and sacred scriptures and all the above. They usually land somewhere in the middle, but th there's always that tension at work. And in, in The Last of Us, I mean, in this episode, we're definitely seeing from a David perspective, the depraved example, that we don't, I guess, necessarily see the rest of the community. And I think that's a distinction we made earlier was who knows what happens to the rest of the community. I mean, it's not, they're not going to survive very long. They've had a lot of their leaders, like a lot of the fighters are dead because of Joel. James, who's second in command, is dead because of Ellie. And then David, who's in charge, is dead because of Ellie. And then what happens if they stumble across? Because, again, they don't know that they're eating people. 
So they stumble across where the, you know, they go, let's go find where the horse and the deer are. Yeah, let's go find, bury the dad. Yeah, well, it's like they go look for the meat that was, you know, well, David's dead. All right, let's go see what we can do. Look, there's still meat. We can survive. And they open the door and see bodies. Ugh. What happens then to this group? You know, do they go, well, this happened. Now we have to struggle on. Or is that the collapse of them? I think it's that. I mean, I, I would give up. I think it'd be the collapse. Of them. I gave I up long before this, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be the. I think it'd be the complete utter collapse of the group because you don't come like you, making the choice is almost. I th- yeah, it's hard to say. I think. I mean, well, it's I almost think, what happens after, right? I mean, yeah. I think none of these shows ever tell you like from a Kansas City perspective. I mean, Boston was already in place still, so that's probably still going. But you think of like like what happened in Kansas City after the fact. What happened in in Silver Lake after the fact. We almost need like a mini episode from the survivors. Yeah, well, I think it's it's when it comes to like something as like thing as cannibalism. If you've made the decision that this is what I have to do, you know, think the people have plane crashed in the mountains and things like that. This is what we have to do to survive so we can keep going. You have made the decision. You've come to terms with it. You can probably see yourself on the other side of it. To where if you didn't know it was happening, now you've been put into a boat of how are you going to respond? Mm-hmm. I was forced to eat humans and I didn't know what, you know, that it, it, could, it could just break you mentally. And I think that's probably what happened to the, a group that already lives in fear of David and James and the, you know, hierarchical yeah. system they have would probably just break knowing that a decision was made without them even being brought into it. Yeah, that's so intri- intriguing because what broke them had nothing to do with cordyceps ports. Yeah. It was, Which, it was the climate. The climate was part yeah, of it too. Yeah, climate. Cold just does that. But yes. I also think, like, I like what, like, David talking about the cordyceps ports being, they're not evil. And they're not. And mm-hmm. I think that's, the show has done a good job of portraying this. Are they scary? Yeah. Are they violent? Yes. But are they evil? No. They are a, a creature that is bent on survival. And this is their instinct. Yes. And I think that is something that's interesting because like the, the main villain of the show is never the so far has never been the cordyceps zombies or hordes. It has been people. Yep. The other people have been the villains. No. And that's it's instructive because mm-hmm. we though today we don't have a zombie apocalypse or something yet or a fungus yet. <laughs> true. Very true. You're prepared for it. Mm-hmm. We we do know that. Though we still have, we have natural disasters, or we have all sorts of difficulties, all the above. There's something where we, the elements are always a challenge, but there's always this arising piece of the challenge of our humanity, and the challenge of that the greatest evil and the greatest atrocities first take place not outside of ourselves, but something inside of us. There's Mm -hmm. an inherent brokenness there, though the degree of that can be debated. People can debate that again, the depravity dignity distinction. But there is something to that. There's a debate there that takes place that you have. You almost this episode is asking us to wrestle with and to work through. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to add about the episode? Um, I mean, something fun was that James was played by the guy that voiced Joel. Yes, I thought that was pretty cool. Troy Baker. Yep, Troy Baker. I like that they bring. They've done that a few times now with the guy that played. Uh, um... Which he played Joel in the video game. For yep. the listener, if you have not played the video game. Troy Baker, the guy who was James in the episode, David's number two, is Joel and the voice of Joel in the video game. Yeah. And I like that in um, the Kansas City episodes, uh, Kathleen's right-hand man is the voice of Tommy. Mm. So I like how they keep bringing in actors That's a fun piece, who yeah. are in, in the game to get to portray somebody else 
in the show. It's a, it's it's a nod to the you've done a lot of work, you get a special point as well. So no, and they did it really well. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I, I think James, like if you watch the episode, uh, yeah, the the after credits where they talk about it, he uh, the guy that played, Troy Baker was saying, yeah, it's different from being a voice actor to you know being on screen and like having to respond to being hit in the neck with a you know with a cleaver like how you know like like okay how do i do this how do i adjust for this so i think it's fun watching them have to like expand their acting horizons no that was fun and it was fun when i learned that i was like oh that's really cool like that's a fun little easter egg that you want to that you almost want to yeah it just adds to the depth of the show mm-hmm. and something that most people you wouldn't notice if you watched it but if you know the video game that kind of it adds the depth that they're always trying to bring us back to the game itself and yeah. not get too far from those roots. Yeah. Um, I think episode-wise, I'm good, but I do have some thanks to give. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I have, there's two people I especially want to thank. Obviously, we want to thank our wives for finally being like, yes, you guys can do a podcast. Um, <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, but then I want to thank, thank David uh, for giving us a space uh, to do this um, and helping us get some equipment set up to do this. And I want to thank Stephen for taking a computer illiterate person like me and giving him enough control of logic to be able to uh, get a there podcast is, on the air. So without these two guys, you wouldn't get to listen to our, our soft, melodious voices oh, over the podcast. Is. There it is. Calming voices. Yeah. Yeah. Special thank you. Now, before I close, I guess I want to end with one last question. Okay. Okay. So as you look at, we're, we're sitting here at the time of this recording. We have not seen the season finale. No. We don't know what's coming. We made sure to record this before the finale because we we wanted to make sure we were fully in the moment, that we were, whether are the things we said make sense or no sense, we are ready for it. We want to mm. be, we want to be on the, want, we want you to feel with us our palpable tension right now in the, in the air. Do you have any thoughts on predictions for the season finale? Joel dies. No way. I just like it's one of those things where no, been, you're not serious. I mean, part like like sixty percent serious. He's not gonna die. I what are they know. gonna do for season two if he dies? Ellie, surviving on her own. I don't know. It's I've never okay, what, I've never what, played the game. No, 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 so. no, no. Okay, I gotta go expand upon this take. What percentage are you serious about what you just said? Sixty percent. We have been spending this entire sixty percent is pretty high. It is because Ellie has been shown now she can hunt and track, survive for herself, save herself from potential killers. So I think that's like killing off the Mandalorian and saying in season two, you know what? We're just gonna have Baby Yoda journey, which I I'd love the journey with Baby Yoda, but it the show feeds off the dynamic between the two. This is a worse take than the father, the father, daughter, brother, sister thing. I think the dynamic between the Mandalorian and baby Yoda is entirely different than than between Joel and Ellie. Ellie, like, I think there's a, a stronger relationship there. Um, hey, I don't know. I, oh, okay. Just because Baby Yoda just makes sounds <laughs> and he's adorable, there's a relationship. There, oh, there's Kenny. a relationship there. I'm not saying there's not. I'm saying in, I think there's a stronger relationship between Joel and El- Joel. You know, Pedro Pascal has a better relationship with Ellie than he does with. <laughs> well, baby yeah, Yoda. Baby Yoda's like in real life is, a, 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 like a you know a little robot kind little of thing or puppet. CGI. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a CGI puppet. So no, I okay, I get that. I just so you think you're you okay? 60%, you said prediction. Six, I know prediction, but I I didn't think you were gonna. You know what? It it's all good. You made a prediction. I don't because here's the thing. I'm trying to think of what could what could be so big at the end of you know this season where they've already stretched and done crazy things. What could be such a uh, a drastic 
season end, unless they go, hey, the season ends, this is where it is, now we'll pick up again later on. It's not too much of a cliffhanger. But what could be such a big thing that would cause people to go, what, and can't wait, would be the death of somebody important. That's true. That's true. I do. I agree that this episode is going, I'm going to leave the episode, and I'm going to be depressed. I don't see a world where they end the episode on a high note in the oh, sense no. that we are, because well, there's always that that building in the episodes where you have these moments of serendipity and peace, but then at the very last second, I mean, Henry Sam, it's taken away. Yeah. And I know that's going to happen. I just feel like Joel's almost uh, too big a pillar at this point, though I will give you that they've made comment of killing off characters. It seems would be too late to introduce a new major character just to go kill them off that we'd actually have an emotional attachment to. Yeah. Unless, I mean, cause they're heading to Oklahoma city where Salt Lake city, Salt Lake city, where the fireflies are supposed to be. So unless there's somebody there that is relational to them, to where they already know and they can, um, build an attachment or, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I see. I see a, a death of a main character. What if it was the death of the mission? Like, what if they found out that, not that Ellie's not immune, but it actually doesn't, there's not a solution? That could be another way to kill off. Because then you kill the dream instead of a character. That, I think that kills off the show. Oh, that's true. I guess because that's the purpose, tying them together. Yeah, it's that right now they have a dream and a purpose. I mean, you could have it to where, you know, they get to Kansas City and the fireflies have been destroyed. And now they have to find a way to get convince Fedra to, you know work yeah. with them that could be a potentiality and right now we have everyone that's played the game sitting there going <laughs> you know nothing oh yeah um, they all know yeah which you know that's fine <laughs> um but i think I, I'm, I'm very interested yeah i don't know because i i don't i don't see them going back to tommy i don't see them going like you know going anywhere where there's characters you've already introduced along that way that are going to die you haven't you've developed a relationship with people sure but even i would think that you developed more relationship with riley in episode seven than you did with tommy in episode six yeah because you were you, it was the connection was stronger hmm. you've known tommy since episode one but he's always just been a guy in the background and his the purpose is to go find him he's fine on his own i think killing off tommy is just kind of like a, eh. so i think interesting okay 60 percent no, that's fine. Sixty percent. All right. You know what? That's that's what predictions are for. Exactly. Is to be able to say, and then you know what? We'll move on. We'll podcast on other things, and your wrong prediction will go that's into the, be lost in the sands of time. I'm happy being wrong. That's no. Yeah. You made a prediction. It's like what is that Wayne Gretzky quote? You, you, or is that Michael Jordan? You miss, you know, hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Exactly. I'm just that's taking what a it is. Bunch you just took a right shot, now. and if if you're right, maybe you're a prophet. Maybe, Maybe you should start your own cult following. I could. I'll start my own my own little following. <laughs> now, okay. I feel like we're hitting a point of of closure. I think so. I think we're hitting a point of conclusion. So I just want to ask our dear listeners, please, if if you are still listening, if you are still with us, please, we are asking subscribe and share this pod. We are a startup. We're in as we're closing the season finale and finishing up season one of The Last of Us. We have much more content to come. But we are trying to get this off the ground. So subscribe and share wherever podcasts are found. Even write a review. That's another helpful way. There's all sorts of little helpful ways. I, I know this is a podcast listener. It's just there's so many times where I, I'm consuming the content. And I always try to make a point. If I can write a review, if I can subscribe, if I can share, if I can do just little things, I know it helps the podcast. And so that would help us greatly. 
And if you want some more entertaining reels commemorating the end of the world, follow me at at Trev William Horn. I'm trying to produce end of the world content. I actually, so one of the things I'm debating making, maybe I will make it, is, but Hillary, she kind of shamed me on it, was, so that scene with Ellie stabbing, we were watching The Mandalorian. And I said, what if that was Baby Yoda? <laughs> with like a knife in his hand and like blood hitting his face. And so I was like, I, I was like, Hillary, I think I'm going to make a reel with Baby Yoda with a knife in his hand. And then I'll catch up like squirting up and stuff. And she looks at me and she just goes, if you died the day after, and that was the last thing you ever posted. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you want to be remembered for that? Is that your lasting memory? <laughs> and I was like, so this sounds bad. My first reaction was, well, how many views did it get? <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, we'll see by the time when this comes out, if I've actually made that real. It's still in an ethical limbo of sorts. Uh, but you can follow me at, at Trevor William Horn. But other than that, we will return again very soon because on this feed, we will be having, we will, we will be covering the season finale, The Last of Us, and we will have another episode covering and reviewing the season with a special draft that will be taking place, which we will talk about in the weeks to come. But as we close, I feel like we're probably just like the series, we're at the end.